Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a long, long overdue episode number seven of the Combat Arena. I'm your host, Axe. Again, this show, as always, proudly hosted by the Addictive Internet Radio Podcasting Network, proud home of the 42 Special, the Historian, and of course, Verbal Abuse, uh, the flagship shows of the of the network there. My, um, I do have to say, I do apologize that it's been such a long, long time since, uh, the last episode of the show, uh, I believe in, uh, it's been about since the 21st of November, right now being, uh, for another half hour or so, January 1st, 2012, it's actually New Year's Day, as I'm sitting down to record this, we've got, uh, a couple of events that I'm going to review Starting with this episode here, uh, going as far back as November 19th uh, with UFC 139, I do have one thing to address. Over the last episode, I was sort of hemming and hawing over whether I would actually continue to do a professional wrestling segment of this program, or if I would completely eliminate the professional wrestling segment. Now, in the interactions that I have, there have been very limited interactions, but I have had some interactions with the listeners of my show, and they seem to indicate that they sort of like the wrestling thing, but they think it would be better if I sort of separated them into mixed martial arts and professional wrestling as individual programs. So that's what I'm going to try to do. My New Year's resolution is, again, to to try and, and make this a more of a regular occurrence, and I feel that it'll be something I'll be more able to do and more inclined to do if I'm doing it on those two different topics. It'll always There'll always be news to talk about. And again, I do apologize for anybody who has been listening to this show from the get-go. You know, I did make a commitment to do the show, and, and I did fall behind on that commitment. Now, in my own defense, I had to say the reason I fell behind was I used to record my shows primarily on Wednesday evening. Evenings. However, it's uh, an employment opportunity has come up for me on Wednesday evenings where I get to make some quick cash, and uh, and that's basically what's been eating into my time lately. Again, I know it's no excuse, and I am going to try and work in more regular versions of the show, and as 2012 hits, uh, as I said, I am going to try and do an individual show about professional wrestling and an individual show about mixed martial arts. Maybe I'll even come up with a whole new uh, show name for the professional wrestling and leave Combat Arena as a, a primarily mixed martial arts broadcast. That being said, if at any time you'd like to get in touch with me, I did record a little bumper, but I always like to get this in there. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please, you can fire me off an email, combatarenacast at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, at combatarenacast, or you can search for Combat Arena on Facebook and leave a message on the wall there if you've got any questions that you'd like, uh, like the old Axeman to address for you. Now, that being said, it's been much, much, much too long. Let's get right into it, into the meat and potatoes of it here. We're going to go back to UFC 139, Shogun versus Henderson, taking place on November 19th 
of 2011 from San Jose, California. And our first little contest we're going to look at is Stefan Bonner versus Kyle Kingsbury. This is a light heavyweight contest. Pretty evenly matched tail of the tape going in. It's a pretty even first round going in. Not really much to talk about until the last minute when uh, Stefan Bonner scores a takedown. He advances to the full mount and he finishes the first round on top, raining down strikes. Uh, so I've got the first round, 10-9 Stefan Bonner, American Psycho. Round two. Bonner scores a trip early. He lands on top of Kingsbury and completely dominates Kingsbury on the ground for the entire round. Kingsbury's a fish out of water on the ground, and of course, uh, Carlson Gracie trained Stephen Bonner has a huge advantage in the ground game over Kyle Kingsbury. Now, Kingsbury is able to survive the round, but by my estimation, and pretty much Stevie Wonder could see this, that Bonner is up two rounds to none, and Kingsbury's looking for a finish in this third round, or he's going to lose it at the very best, uh, 29-28. Early in the third, Again, Bonner drags Kingsbury to the ground early, and once again, Kingsbury's into deep water. Bonner is switching submissions, you know, back and forth, but Kingsbury is able to defend. That's about it. Bonner maintains a dominant position for the remainder of the round. He's mixing submission switches with intermittent elbows and punches from the top. Kingsbury, again, much to his credit, he manages to hang on, but the story of this fight is Stefan Bonner's complete domination of this fight on the ground and making the fight take place on the ground. And in the end, we do go to the judges' scorecards for a decision, and we've got this one as a unanimous decision for the American psycho Stefan Bonner, with the judges' scorecards reading 30-27, 30-25, and 30-27. So at least one judge there gave uh, gave Stefan Bonner a little bit of extra credit or gave Carl Kingsbury a little bit of a, of a demerit for, for his performance in at least two of those rounds. So Stefan Bonner with an impressive, impressive performance leading to an impressive victory back in November at UFC 139. Moving into our next fight on the, uh, the big pay-per-view card where the main event, of course, is Dan Henderson and Mauricio Shogun, who uh, we've got a welterweight contest between Rick Horror Story and Martin, the hitman Catman. Story is coming off a loss against Charlie Brenneman. However, he is a winner of 12 of his last 14 fights. Martin Catman is a kickboxer by nature. He's a versatile fighter. He's got seven wins by knockout, six by submission. Another pretty even tale of the tape in this contest. Campman is two inches taller with a small one-inch reach advantage. Round one, Story is charging forward and he's throwing leather. Campman eats a couple of sporadic shots, but he seems to settle later into the round and he's not playing into Story's flurries about halfway through. Both guys are bloody towards the end, and the final half turns into more of a chess match than a headhunt, which is sort of what you would expect between these two fighters. Uh, the headhunt, I mean, not the chess match. Kentman is doing more counterpunching, but Story still manages to land some body shots while standing in the pocket. The round comes to a close, and this one, it's not so cut and dried as the previous previous fight there. It's, it's kind of hard to pick a winner in this one for, round, for the first round. In round two, Kentman's using his kickboxing, throws a head kick early on, but it's shrugged off by Story. Kentman is attempting to use his range, and he seems to be finding it with his right hand, but Story continues to come back with counters that could put Kentman to sleep should they catch him square. 
Cabin has changed this into a technical striking matchup, and he's forcing Rick Story to play into his game plan. With two minutes left in the round, Catman scores a trip and hops into Story's half guard. Catman is working for an arm triangle from there. He keeps Story on the, his back, on the defensive to the end of the round, but this was a much clearer round to score. Catman with dominant striking with the right hand and the late takedown should be more than enough to give this round to the Danish kickboxer. So it's quite possible at this point it could be a round apiece or it could be two rounds for Campman. Round three, Sori comes out and attempts to push Campman against the cage. Campman defends well, stays on his feet, switches the position, and Campman is pushing Story hard against the cage, goes for and scores the takedown, but Story is back to his feet quickly. In the clinch against the cage, Catman is not letting Story gain any ground from that position, and he's maintaining the dominant position. They separate, Story pushes four and scores a takedown. Catman wall walks against the cage easily to get back to his feet, then drags Story to the ground and proceeds to take his back. He's working for the rear naked choke, but the buzzer goes, and we are going to the judges. And the final story in this one is a split decision victory for Martin the Hitman Catman, with Story scoring 29-28, 30-27 Catman, and 29-28 Catman. So uh, a darn good fight, pretty uh, pretty back and forth there. And like I say, in that first round, it, w- it was kind of hard to pick a winner. And you got to like those ones every now and again, where you have those sort of chess matches, and you don't, you wouldn't be able to to clearly identify at any point who the winner of the the fight is going to be. Moving right along, we've got some of the uh, the lighter have lighter fighters coming into uh, into play here. Now we've got Brian Bowles taking on Uriah Faber. Brian Bowles is a former WEC bantamweight champ. Of course, the WEC has recently been absorbed by the UFC and, of course, has resulted in the introduction of the lighter weight classes. Six of his wins coming in the first round, and he's been the winner of three Submission of the Night fight bonuses. Faber is a former WEC featherweight champion with 14 wins by submission. He's a powerful wrestler and... He has the hometown advantage in this fight taking place in San Jose, California. Of course, the California kid. In round one, both guys are lightning quick, as the lighter classes are obviously known for. And both guys are firing off combos. Halfway through round one, Faber hits a flurry that sends Bowles tumbling backwards, but the cage manages to keep him on his feet. And then he sort of gains his composure back, and we're back to toe-to-toe. Faber explodes with a takedown, and he has control in Bowles' guard. Faber's standing and attempts to lay a ground and pound on Bowles while posturing up, but eats an upkick and quickly hops back into Bowles' guard, where the round finishes. Faber most likely did, it seems he did the most damage in this round, and of course the takedown earned him the 10-9 if I were a judge scoring this fight. In the second round, 30 seconds in, Faber hits a a nuclear uppercut that rocks Bowles, and Faber swarms on him. He has Bowles in trouble. Bowles is eating shots from Faber, including some brutal elbows from the top. Bowles rolls to defend, and Faber sinks in a guillotine choke, rolls into the full mount, and gets the tap out at 1 minute and 27 seconds of the second round. So the winner of this fight... Via submission by guillotine choke, again at 1 minute and 27 seconds of the second round, the California kid, Uriah 
Faber. A good little fight. I, I've always enjoyed the lighter weight classes. They're exciting. You know, cardio is never an issue for these guys. They're fast. And, and you know, the, these guys are continuing to, to produce quality fights. And I'm glad that the WEC is no more. And these fighters are now getting thrust into the spotlight on the, the international stage of the UFC. So that's pretty cool. Moving right along. We've got our co-main event of the evening coming up next. Kong Lee taking on the axe murderer, Vanderlei Silva. Kong Lee is a strike force standout. He's 17 and 0 in kickboxing competition, and all of his MMA wins have come by knockout. Vanderlei Silva is a longtime UFC and Pride contender, a savage striker. He's deadly in the clinch. He's a former Pride middleweight champion, which would be equivalent to the UFC light heavyweight. And that was a title that Vanderlei Silva held for over five years. And he has 22 knockouts over the course of his career. In this match, Vanderlei will actually enjoy a four-inch reach advantage. Heading into round one, Kung Lee is famous for his unorthodox striking and he's using kicks from outside Silva's range, forcing Silva to wait for him to advance before he can fire back. But when Lee jumps in, Silva fires back and lands a damaging shot that halts Kung Lee's advance for the moment. Kung Lee catches Vanderlei with a spinning back fist that wobbles the Brazilian but Silva maintains his composure, and Lee continues to stalk Vanderlei, using kicks to do damage from outside Vanderlei's effective punching range. Silva starts closing the distance late in the round, however, and starts landing some shots as we close out the round. Lee appeared to have the better round here, but he did eat some big shots from Silva towards the end. Could be Lee, could be Silva at this point. Round two, and we've sort of got more of the same to start. Kung Lee is again using those kicks to keep Silva away for the most part. Kung Lee is again using those those kicks to keep Silva away for the most part, with Silva landing a big shot every now and again. But Silva is still in it, and Kung Lee looks a step or two slower, and Silva's countering now Kung Lee whenever he gets close, and he's taking a lot less damage than he did in the first round. With about 45 seconds left in the round, Silva lands a bomb that rattles Kung Lee. Lee is reeling and getting hit with shots, including some big knees from the Muay Thai clinch. Kung Lee dies for the takedown. Silva stuffs it, begins hammer-fisting Kung Lee in the head. The referee jumps in and calls a stop to this one. And we have a winner by TKO at 4 minutes and 49 seconds of the second round. Your winner is Vanderlei, the Axe Murderer Silva. An excellent, excellent fight. Uh, a good way to welcome Kung Lee to the UFC. Uh, you know, he, he's been hyped up quite a bit. Uh, Joe Rogan is a huge fan of Kung Lee, his unorthodox style. But uh, but it's good to see Vanderlei, even though, you know, he's getting up there in years. He's certainly still able to bring it when he fights in the octagon. So that's uh, that's pretty cool there. Glad to see Silva winning. I, I used to be a hater of Vanderlei Silva, but then I uh, I actually started to like the guy. So I'm a, I'm a closet Vanderlei. I'm a, I'm a Vanderlei convert, I guess would be the best way to put it. Finally, now from UFC 139 out of San Jose, we've got the main event for the evening, a five-round non-title main event between Mauricio Shogun Hua and Dan Hendo Henderson. 
Now, this is a, a dream fight. Henderson is a world-class wrestler, has brutal ground and pound, and is quite the striker on his feet as well. Shogun's a vicious striker, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. They're both former champions. And Henderson, coincidentally, holds one of my favorite knockout victories of all time against the big Brit, Michael Bisping. Uh, these guys are two legends of mixed martial arts, and this is a fight fans have been waiting for since the days of the Pride Fighting Championship. And as I mentioned, this is a five-round non-title main event. Into the first round, it's slow going for the first 30 seconds. Hua goes for the clinch against the cage. Hendo rocks Shogun with a big right hand. Henderson attempts to front choke, but he lets it go and peppers Shogun with shots against the cage. Shogun hangs on, and they reset back to the center of the octagon. Shogun is bloodied early, but he is still in this fight. He's still clear-eyed. This one is starting out as a war on the feet, and Henderson lets Shogun get back up after he tosses him to the ground. Shogun is trying for the takedown, but Henderson, with his Olympic caliber wrestling, stuffs all attempts up to this point in the fight. With about a minute 25 left, Shogun lands a shot that drops Hendo. Henderson eats a couple on the ground, but survives and manages to get back to his feet. Shogun continues to push forward, once again gets the clinch against the cage, and that's where we finish round one. So no clear winner here in the, in the first round, either uh, both guys landing their shots, doing their damage. So we'll move into round two. They're striking back and forth. This no fighter is really landing anything significant at this point. Henderson goes for the takedown, but Shogun stuffs it, and we're once again in the clinch against the cage. Hendo lands another big shot, but Shogun defends well and avoids any major damage from the ensuring flurry. Back in the center, they're going back and forth with punches. No man has a clear advantage here. Shogun back into the clinch against the cage. Hendo breaks free and unleashes another barrage to Shogun's face. Henderson in control now in the clinch against the cage, but he's not really advancing his position. So the referee steps in, breaks him apart, resets him back in the center of the octagon. With 30 seconds left, they're standing in front of each other, chucking leather, and that's how we finish round two. At the beginning of the third round, uh, the referee says, All right, guys, let's go, last round. And uh, Henderson sort of chuckles and reminds him, No, there's three more rounds to go. Gets a chuckle from referee Josh Rosenthal as well. Into the fight, though, Henderson is pushing the pressure against the cage, landing some powerful shots, but Shogun is still fighting and landing his shots as well. A grapple ends up in a stalemate, and they're back to the center. Shogun misses, and Henderson counters with a big right hand that sends the former light heavyweight champion to the canvas. Henderson hops on and lands some brutal shots. Shogun, however, manages to survive and manages to sneak in a heel hook attempt. But he doesn't quite have it set properly. Henderson is able to defend and make his way to his feet. Shogun is back in the clinch against the cage, pushing Henderson, but Shogun is a bloody mess. He's finally able to get Henderson down briefly, lands a few good punches to the face in the process, but Henderson is back to his feet quickly and back in the defensive position against the cage. They break and throw down for the final seconds, but this one is indeed going to the fourth round. Heading into the fourth, now Shogun definitely looks the worst for wear. He tries for an early takedown on Henderson, which he gets, but Henderson is again able to get up quickly with that world-class wrestling skill. Henderson is able to ground grapple into a crucifix, but good ground skills by Shogun allow him to defend and get back to his feet. 
Henderson shoots for and scores the takedown, maneuvers into a one-armed mounted guillotine from half guard. Hua is able to get back to full guard, but not where you want to be again with an Olympic-caliber wrestler like Dan Henderson. Hendo postures up and lands some shots, but Shogun is able to push him away, and once again we're back standing. Shogun lands a big uppercut that rocks Henderson, and he's starting to land more often, you can notice as this fight wears on. Shogun's technical striking is sort of taking over on Henderson's sort of wild striking. Henderson looks gassed, and Shogun appears to be taking advantage of it. Late in the round, Shogun scores a takedown, quickly gets into full mount, and Henderson is in trouble. Shogun takes his back, but Henderson is able to switch it over, and he's back in Shogun's full guard. Henderson holds on to survive, and we are going to the fifth and final round. Early on, Shogun goes for the takedown. Henderson tries to defend with a whizzer, but Shogun's muscles through and ends up on top in side control. Works his way to full mount and has Henderson in trouble landing some big shots from there. Henderson, however, is able to make his way back to half guard, but the ground game of Shogun Hua is evident as he makes his way back into full mount. Henderson gives up his back. Shogun is just too gassed to really set the choke in. Hendo rolls back to half guard. Once again, Shogun immediately goes back to full mount. With a minute left, Henderson has been in trouble for this whole round, and he's simply been fighting to survive. He's managing to get half guard several times, but every time Shogun instantly, or very, very quickly, gets back to the full mount. Henderson, however, does manage to survive the round, and we're going to the judges for a decision in this instant classic of a fight. Damn, damn good fight. A lot of back and forth. Lots of a good bloody action. It was excellent. However, on this night, the judges have deemed that Dan Hendo Henderson would be the winner of this fight by unanimous decision with a score of 48 to 47 on all three of the judges' cards. So that's the rundown for UFC 139. Not a bad little card at all. Uh, the fight bonuses for the night... For UFC 139, they were awarded in the amount of $70,000. For the fight of the night, we've got Vanderlei Silva, uh, Kong Lee, and Shogun and Henderson uh, receiving the award for fight of the night. The knockout of the night went to Michael McDonald in a fight that occurred in the preliminaries. And the submission of the night went to Uriah Faber. Again, that's uh, an extra $70,000 for uh, each of those fighters included in that card there. Keeping the old train rolling now, we're going to take a look at UFC 140. Jones versus Machida from Toronto, Ontario, Canada and the Air Canada Center. First fight is Chang Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, taking on Mark Hominick in a featherweight contest. Hominick, of course, is coming off a five-round decision loss against featherweight champion Jose Aldo and, and also suffering a tremendous personal loss with... Uh, the loss of his longtime trainer, mixed martial arts trainer out of Toronto, Ontario, by the name of Sean Tompkins, uh, very, very closely associated with uh, with Mark Hominick and also with uh, Sam Stout as well. And he recently passed away, and this is uh, Hominick's first fight since, uh, uh, you know, since losing uh, a god that's been uh, been in his corner since pretty much day one. And and again, Jung again. It, 
also known as the Korean Zombie, coming off the first ever Twister submission victory over Leonard Garcia. And, and it's not easy, Leonard Garcia, if you're familiar with him, is, is a damn tough fighter to, to get to submit. Uh, both fighters are capable wherever this fight takes place, and both of these featherweights are expected to provide an exciting, exciting contest there. Heading into the first round, Chan Sung Jung walks out and nails Hominick with a brutal right hand that sends the Canadian to the ground. Jung swarms on him and lands several unanswered shots. Referee Herb Dean calls a stop to this contest. We have a winner, Chan Sung Jung, by TKO at 7 seconds of the very first round. So a very, very, very quick knockout or technical knockout victory by the Korean Zombie in this match. And that should certainly move him up the ranks. You know, Hominick just coming off a, a title fight. That should certainly move the Korean Zombie up a couple of rungs in the featherweight division. Our next contest is Brian Ebersol versus Claude Patrick. This is a welterweight contest. Ebersol is a very experienced fighter. He's the holder of 20 career wins by submission. And he's currently holding a nine-fight win streak. Claude Patrick is capable in any position where this fight takes place, and he is currently riding a 13-fight win streak. So we've got these two guys on very, very lengthy fight win streaks coming in here, looking to prove themselves in the welterweight division, which at this point could be up in the air with uh, with the interim title going up for grabs in just a few months there, with uh, George St. Pierre being out. Feeling out process for the first 30 seconds of the round, Brian Ebersol then dives in for a takedown. Patrick sprawls and tries briefly for a choke. Ebersol back up onto his feet and they're into the clinch. Ebersol is in control of Patrick against the cage. Patrick is able to reverse the position and it's a back and forth battle of standing switches. Ebersol drops down and leaves his neck out. Patrick grabs hold with a guillotine choke and pulls guard. But Ebersol is able to survive. Patrick lets it go, not wanting to gas his arms out, leaving Ebersol in his guard. But Patrick is able to use the cage and wall walk and get back to his feet. Ebersol is following some punches with a takedown attempt. Patrick again is able to sprawl and defend. However, he still remains clinched against the cage in a disadvantaged position. Patrick is able to reverse positions mere seconds before the round ends. Into the second round, uh, Claude Patrick starts the second round as the aggressor. Ebersol is staying outside the range, attempting mostly unsuccessful counterpunches. Back again into the grind in the clinch against the cage. Ebersol in control again. Patrick is again able to get free. Ebersol again right back to the takedown. And once again, Claude Patrick stuffs the takedown attempt. Again, they're back into the grind against the cage. And this is where a lot of this fight took place. It was one of those really physically demanding, grinding, break your opponent grind them against the cage. Uh, and as they break from this final grind here, Patrick goes for his own takedown, which is stuffed by Ebersol, who goes back into the grind against the cage mode. Patrick catches a leg kick attempt from Ebersol, counters with a straight right hand, and continues to push through. And now we're once again back into the grind against the cage. This is a, a chess match uh, against the cage here, folks. Uh, it continues that way. They separate briefly. Patrick lands a few good shots, shoots for the takedown. Uh, it's stuffed. Patrick continues to work it, but doesn't get the takedown in before we end the round. So we're heading into round three. Ebersol goes for the takedown early. Patrick stuffs it again. 
Ebersol is able to muscle him over and ends up on top in Clyde Patrick's guard. Ebersol is pushing on the ground, but Patrick makes his way to his feet. Ebersol, however, takes his back and he's able to toss Patrick back to the ground and he's on top in side control. Clyde Patrick again, able to make his way to his feet. See, uh, this fight was just so back and forth. Ebersol again is able to get his back, however. Patrick spins around, but we're back to the grind with Ebersol and Patrick against the cage. Ebersol is relentlessly pursuing the takedown. Patrick is able to successfully stuff the attempt and takes Ebersol's back and attempts a darce choke. But Ebersol rolls out, successfully defends, back to his feet. Patrick lands a shot to Ebersol's body and attempts yet another choke, but again Ebersol survives. And this one is going to the judges. And, and to be honest, I don't envy the judges for, for having to score this fight. And we've got this fight. The winner, as deemed by the judges, was Brian Ebersol by a split decision. 29-28, 29-28, and 28-29, of course, that, uh, that judge giving the fight to Claude Patrick. Uh, a darn good fight again. Uh, you know, a lot of folks will be critical of this fight because it wasn't uh, a knockdown, drag-out brawl, you know, pier six, fisticuffs type thing. But if you are a fan of mixed martial arts for what it is, it, it was a chess game of a fight, and, and I sort of, like I have to say, I enjoy the, those chess games every now and again. It, it was a good fight, and I'm I'm sort of glad that uh, that I had a chance to see it there. Into our next fight, however, we've got Rogerio Nogueira taking on Tito Ortiz. Of course, uh, Minotauro Nogueira, or Rogerio Nogueira, is the twin brother of Minotauro Nogueira. Uh, you know, you're well familiar with that history there of the Nogueira brothers. And Tito Ortiz, of course, has been a fixture in the UFC for, for a long, long time. Ortiz is a wrestler with powerful ground and pound, while Nogueira is a jiu-jitsu black belt who also possesses some wicked deadly boxing skills. This one has all the potential to be a war. No matter how happy I would be to see Tito Ortiz get decapitated by uh, Little Nog, as he's known. In round one, Tito's not backing down. Nogueira's striking and Ortiz is standing in the pocket and lands the more significant strikes in the first exchange. Ortiz is grinding Nogueira against the cage. He's landing some knees from the clinch and utilizing some effective dirty boxing. Nogueira manages to counter with a good left and Ortiz is rocked. Nogueira is trying to capitalize, scrambles into full guard, but Little Nog is still landing punches as Tito attempts to control his position. Nogueira postures up and continues to rain down strikes. Ortiz is trying to defend, but it appears Ortiz was hurt by some elbows to the body in the scramble. Ortiz is done as the referee steps in to save him from any further damage. We've got a winner here. 3 minutes and 15 seconds. Rogerio Nogueira by TKO over Tito Ortiz. And of course, as, uh, as has been the norm with any Tito Ortiz fights over the last little while. They always discuss whether or not he's going to be done in the octagon, and they discuss that he had his win over Ryan Bader, and he stepped up to fight Rashad Evans. But uh, but who knows? Who knows what's next for Tito Ortiz? Uh, if he were to call it a career, he could be happy. He was uh, a UFC champion for, for quite some time. He's had some, some memorable, memorable bouts. 
Uh, you know, I'm no big fan of Tito Ortiz, but I have to admit that when Tito is around, shit gets interesting. So, uh, should be interesting to see what happens with Ortiz from here. Going on into our co-main event. Now for UFC 140, we've got Frank Mir taking on Minotauro. No, Minotauro Norguera. Anyway, Buddy's brother. Uh, Frank Mir is a jiu-jitsu black belt. He's very good at the submission game. But Minotauro, or Minotauro, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as well. Both men, as similar to his brother Minotauro, has spectacular boxing. Frank Mir is no slouch, however, in the boxing game as well. Uh, this is actually a rematch from UFC 92, when Frank Mir became the first man to stop Nogueira by TKO. This match could very well clarify future contendership for the heavyweight title. Nogueira's coming off a knockout victory of Ultimate Fighter alumni Brendan Schaub. Mir, of course, coming off wins over Mirko Krokop and a decision victory over Roy Nelson. And, of course, both men are former UFC heavyweight champions. Into the first round, Nogueira goes for the early takedown, Mir stuffs the attempt, and Big Nog goes into the clinch against the cage. Mir spins out, takes the advantage, and we enter into chess match mode for a few moments, with no man gaining a clear advantage. Mir is taken down briefly, but is able to work his way back to his feet, and they separate. Nogueira lands a huge combination that floors Mir. Mir dies for an ankle in desperation. Nogueira goes for a guillotine, but as Mir regains his senses, he rolls and ends up on top of Nogueira. Mir grabs hold of the Kimura and puts the pressure on. Nogueira attempts to roll out, but Frank Mir uses his momentum to continue to roll through and ends up back on top inside control with the Kimura still hooked. Uh... More, Mir has it in really, really tight, and he continues to apply the pressure. Nogueira won't tap, so Mir proceeds to break Nogueira's arm. And referee Herb Dean calls a stop to the fight. So we've got Frank Mir taking this fight by TKO due to a broken arm at 3 minutes and 38 seconds of the very first round. Now again, uh, I'm no huge Frank Mir fan, but this was a, an impressive damn performance from Mir. A- and uh, I don't know if Nogueira was trying to, to prove a point why he wouldn't tap, uh, but, but Frank Mir broke his arm. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know if it's stupid pride by the Nogueiras as to why he wouldn't he wouldn't tap out when he knew he, he was got, but you know, and now he's going to have surgery, or I, I think by this point he's already actually had surgery on his arm. So, so uh, you know, it, it's just stupid pride, I think, that resulted in Nogueira ending up with a broken arm. And and he's going to be out now for a while. So, But Frank Mir with an impressive, impressive performance. Uh, you know, he, he was really, really good on the ground against the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt that is uh, Antonio Minotauro, Minotauro, Nogueira. Oh my god, I really wish they hadn't put these two guys so close together. Anywho, moving on to the main event for the card. We've got Leoto, the Dragon Machida, taking on John Bones Jones for the UFC Light Heavyweight Championship. Machida, of course, is attempting to get back on the road to the UFC title, but first he has to go through the juggernaut that is John Bones Jones. Machida is a karate and jiu-jitsu black belt, and he has a very unusual fighting style, no wasted motion, and he's a very, very accurate laser-like striker. 
John Jones, however, is a powerful wrestler, and thus far his incredible reach of 83 inches has yet to be successfully countered or, or successfully planned for by any of his opponents. Both fighters have their own unorthodox striking styles. Uh, you know, Machida is a karate fighter. Jones is just crazy because that, that reach allows him to flip all around like one of those octopus sprinkler things. Uh, Machida is making his way back to the title from uh, a brutal knockout over Randy, the natural couture, of course, UFC Hall of Famer. Jones is continuing his run as champion with victories over Quentin Rampage Jackson, the aforementioned Mauricio Shogun Hua, and Ryan Darth Bader. Starting round one, Jones comes out in this sort of weird spider pose thing, uh, sort of keeping one hand on, on the ground, and Joe Rogan alludes that because he has one hand on the ground, Leoto Machida can't kick him in the face. Uh, after a few seconds of that, he stands up, and we enter into the feeling-out process between the two. Jones is doing the stalking in this round, it appears. He lands a nice leg kick, no real damage caused. Uh, Jones is using a strange little thrust push kick to Machida's knee, sort of trying to get him to hyperextend. Limited success. He's landing, but not really causing any visible damage. Machida just misses a right hook counter, and Machida is seeming to turn up the aggression later in the round. He manages to land a few shots, jumping in past the reach of Jones, but again, no significant damage scored. Machida does land a solid counter with about a minute remaining. Jones for the last minute, it looks as if he's still trying to figure out the puzzle of Leoto Machida. And that takes us into the end of the first round. Heading into round two, we've got a tentative approach from both fighters early in the second. We've got sporadic striking again from both guys. Jones is doing the stalking again, though no real damage being landed. About two minutes in, they finally engage. A quick flurry by both guys, but no clear winner in the exchange. Jones lands a big right hand that staggers Machida. He goes for and scores the takedown. Uh, Machida is trying to make his way to his feet. Jones rides his back up, and when they get to their feet, Big John McCarthy calls timeout to get the ringside doctor to check on a huge cut over the right eye of Leota Machida that was caused by Jones' elbow on the ground. Doctor says the cut's okay, and Big John sets him back in the exact same position with about 90 seconds left on the clock. Leoto manages to get back to the center, but Jones is still doing the stalking. Leoto fires, but Jones counters with a shot that rocks Machida. As he gets back up, Jones pushes him against the cage and hooks in a deep standing guillotine choke. Big John steps in and calls a stop to the fight. When Jones releases Machida, Machida just crumples to the mat, completely choked unconscious by the standing guillotine choke of John Jones. And John Jones, by submission, at 4 minutes and 26 seconds of the second round, retains the UFC light heavyweight title against Leoto, the Dragon Machida. Another another damn good fight there. I'm a fan of John Bones Jones, and, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it was a darn good fight. And the, the fight awards for UFC 140, the fight of the night went to Jones and Machida. The knockout of the night went to Chan Sung Jung for his seven-second thrashing of uh, Canadian Mark Hominick. And the submission of the night obviously went to Frank Mir for 
literally breaking the arm of Antonio Noguera. So that's the final for 140. Now we're going to move into the most recent event, just a, a couple of nights ago, two, three nights ago. UFC 141, Lesnar versus Overeem from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. First fight of the evening, we've got Nam Fan versus Jimmy Hedis. Fan is coming, of, co- of course, off two absolute wars with Leonard Garcia. Hedis is entering into this contest with a 9-0 and records, and all of his wins have come by way of submission. He is trained in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by former UFC competitor Ricardo Almeida, and he holds a brown belt in Judo and a purple belt in Jiu-Jitsu. Fan, however, does have an edge here experience-wise. This will be his 28th professional MMA contest, and he does hold a black belt in both Jiu-Jitsu and Karate. The tail of the tape is pretty even, no significant reach advantage for either fighter. A referee for this one is Mr. Herb Dean. Round one, Hedis gets Nam Fan down early, and he immediately starts working the ground game. Hedis threatens early with a mounted guillotine choke, but Nam Fan is able to defend and make his way back to his feet. Hedis manages to drag the Ultimate Fighter alumni back to the mat, lands some good ground-and-pound shots, but Nam Fan ultimately survives the flurry. The stand-up in this match is obviously Nam Fan's strong point, into the clinch, but Hedis lands a hip toss, getting Fan to the ground and quickly progressing to full mount. Fan leaves his arm in and Hedis goes for an armbar attempt. Nam Fan is in trouble, but he survives it to end the first round. But uh, but complete domination by Hedis on, on Nam Fan in this fight. A complete and total ground game and, and just control by Hedis in round one. And pretty much more of the same heading into round two. Jimmy Hedis is relentless with his takedowns. He manages to drag Fan to the ground again and back into the deep water. Hedis and his ground game. Hedis goes for a rear naked choke. Nam manages to defend it well. Gets back on top. And actually manages to get some ground and pound elbows in before they're back to their feet. Hedis grinds Fan against the cage. Drags him down in, into side control and manages to keep Nam Fan on the defensive from his back for the remainder of the round. Fan is being dominated again by this young Jimmy Hedis on the ground and he's down two rounds and he's heading into the third needing a finish to win. Heading into the third and final round, Fan comes out and tries to start the round with some striking, but Hedis is using his reach advantage well. He's countering Nam's boxing and goes for and gets the takedown, but again, they're both back up quickly. They go back into the grind against the cage. Another takedown up again. Some limited success with striking from Nam Fan, but Hedis is imposing his will on his opponent, and he has been doing so from the opening bell. Hedis gets a trip takedown, and he's back on top again in Nam Fan's guard. Hedis continues to lay on some ground and pound. Fan survives to the end of the round, and we are going to the judges for the official decision. And, of course, this one was was very, very easy to score. We've got young Jimmy Hedis improving the 10-0 professional undefeated mixed martial arts record, taking this one by unanimous decision with scores of 30-25, 30-25, and 30-26. So you see those scores represent complete and total domination if 
Nam Fan had just simply lost every round, it would be thirty twenty seven. So so goes to show the the domination that of young Jimmy Hedis in this in this fight. Heading into the next contest at UFC one forty one, we've got Alexander Gustafsson taking on Vladimir, the janitor, Matushenko. Gustafsson is enjoying a significant reach advantage in this fight, and Matushenko is definitely going to need to try to utilize his wrestling or take a chance leaping in to get past Gustafsson's reach and close the distance in order to do any damage. They do the usual feeling out process for a few minutes. Finally, Matushenko looks like he's going to take the chance. As he's jumping in to take the chance, Gustafsson counters with a jab that the power of this jab was, of course, accentuated by the fact that Vladimir, the janitor, Matushenko, is jumping in. Matushenko hits the canvas. Gustafsson jumps on, raining down strikes. Referee Eve Levine has seen enough and calls a stop to this contest. And we've got a winner, Alexander Gustafsson. By TKO at 2 minutes and 13 seconds of the very first round. Impressive, impressive performance by by Gustafsson. Utilizing his reach advantage well. And, and capitalizing on, on what he knew that his shorter opponent would have to do in order to try and cause damage to him. So uh, an impressive victory by Alexander Gustafsson at 2.13 round 1. Moving on, we've got John Fitch. Versus Johnny Hendricks. This one's taking place in the welterweight division. John Fitch, of course, is a longtime UFC contender with a wrestling pedigree who's only been defeated once in his last 15 fights. And that loss came to longtime UFC welterweight champion George St. Pierre. Johnny Hendricks is an elite wrestler with dangerous, dangerous hands and one-shot knockout power. Uh, John Fitch is going to be enjoying a 5-inch reach advantage in his fight, and our referee is Steve Mazzagatti. Into the first round, some brief, brief exchange, but Hendricks walks right into the center of the octagon and cracks John Fitch with a brutal left that leaves Fitch stiff. Mazzagatti steps in to prevent any further damage to the unconscious Fitch. We've got a lightning-fast, brutal knockout victory by Johnny Hendricks, taking this one by knockout at 12 seconds of the very first round. So an impressive, impressive win by Johnny Hendricks. And, of course, taking out John Fitch, who, of course, is a perennial UFC welterweight contender. That's got to move Johnny Hendricks up a, a few rungs up the ladder as well. Impressive power, impressive knockout victory by Johnny Hendricks. Going into our co-main event for UFC 141 now, we're going into Donald, the Cowboy Cerrone, taking on Nate Diaz. Now, both of these guys are well-rounded fighters, a wealth of experience in the primes of their careers, uh, Cerrone is performing well since the WEC was absorbed into the UFC. Nate Diaz, of course, is a gritty striker who has a really good ground and submission game. Cerrone is capable of the knockout. Diaz, however, not so much a knockout power, but he's more like a mosquito. He's got constantly accurate striking attacks that cause damage in volume. Uh, there is a little bit of a backstory here. Apparently, Cerrone attempted to, to introduce himself, sorry, and shake Diaz's hand at an open workout leading up to the event, and Diaz basically cold-shouldered him, told him to fuck off, and, and sort of was 
almost felt a little disrespected that he would do that. But but that's the interesting little backstory here. Heading into the first round, Cerrone runs to the center, and they're going at it quickly. Diaz has Cerrone in the clinch against the cage, landing some good knees from inside the clinch. Diaz is landing some crazy shots, using his reach well and staying outside of Cerrone's range while landing his shots safely. And when they clinch, Diaz continues to deliver punishment via knees to the body. Cowboy seems to be unsure of how to deal with Nate's accurate striking, but Diaz keeps him coming. Cerrone manages to hit a leg kick, but Diaz makes him pay with a counter-punching combination. Diaz continues to land punches and bunches, but the gutsy Cerrone is standing in the pocket and is continuing to try and throw with Diaz. Cerrone is bloodied from the mouth, and Diaz completely dominates the first round. Moving into round two, and Diaz continues striking in the second round, and Cowboy manages to get Diaz to the mat by kicking his feet out from under him with a leg kick. He manages to do this again, but he eats a few more jabs from Nick from Nate Diaz in the process. Diaz again is continuing to fire with laser-like precision, and Cerrone seems to be swinging with some degree of desperation at this point. Cerrone hits a head kick, but he falls himself as Diaz falls, and sort of Diaz gets back to his feet before Cerrone has a chance to capitalize. Back to the standing position, and Diaz continues to pepper the face of Cowboy with punches, but he's now managing to land a few punches in return. 90 seconds left, and Cerrone manages to get a trip that gets Diaz to the mat yet again. Once again, they engage, and Cerrone kicks Diaz's ankles out, and he's on the ground again. Cerrone lets him back up, not wanting to engage in Diaz's dangerous, dangerous ground game. Round 2 finishes with Diaz boxing again, causing some damage to Cerrone. Diaz has obviously dominated the first two rounds, and it looks like Cerrone's going to need a finish in the third to win. Uh, starting the third round, Diaz sort of flips Cerrone off with double birds across the octagon before they begin, and continues his striking clinic, landing snapping combinations seemingly at will on Cerrone. But Cerrone has found a weakness, and he's throwing several hard leg kicks that are going unanswered. Cowboy gets a sweep, a foot sweep, that sends Diaz to the canvas again, and again he allows him to get up. After a brief back and forth, he lands another sweep that sends Diaz to the canvas, and he lets him up again. Final minute, and Diaz is still landing those aggravating combos that have been the story of this whole fight. Cerrone lands one final leg sweep, but Diaz is up quickly, and this one is going to the judges. And we've got Nate Diaz taking this fight by unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, and 29-28. After the fight, Diaz made a point of being very, very respectful towards Donald Cerrone. I guess, uh, you know, he stood there and he fought with him, so uh, that's what Diaz wanted, so... That's that. That was pretty cool. I thought it was it was cool that Diaz wasn't a dick at the end. All right, we're headed into our main event now at UFC 141. We've got the returning Brock Lesnar taking on a newcomer to UFC, but someone who should be very very familiar to the more than casual mixed martial arts fan, Alistair Overeem. 
Uh, for, for those who are unfamiliar, Overeem is a Strike Force import. He's a former Strike Force heavyweight champion as well as a K1 kickboxing champion. He's a vicious kickboxer with years and years of mixed martial arts experience. Lesnar is an elite wrestler, of course. Everyone's familiar with Lesnar. And he's on the comeback trail after losing the UFC heavyweight title to Cain Velasquez and subsequently suffering from a second bout of diverticulitis and having a large portion of his colon and his lower intestine removed. Now, the winner of this contest is slated to be the new number one contender to Junior Dos Santos and his UFC heavyweight division title. Into the first round, Lesnar seems tentative. He's attempting strikes, but he's not really landing. But one manages to, to connect, and it does cut Overeem over the right eye. Overeem's pushing the pace and lands some brutal knees to the body of Lesnar from in the clinch after stuffing Lesnar's repeated takedown attempts. Overall lands a brutal kick to the body that drops Lesnar against the cage. Lesnar turtles up and covers up as he's been known to do when he's in trouble. Overeem lands more brutal shots to Lesnar's body. Lesnar's not defending himself intelligently. Overeem's landing repeated unanswered shots. Referee Mario Yamasaki jumps in and calls a stop to this one. Alistair Overeem taking the win by TKO at 2 minutes and 26 seconds of the first round and in the process gaining himself a future heavyweight title shot against current UFC heavyweight champion Junior Dos Santos. Now, after the fight, Brock Lesnar announced that this would be his final mixed martial arts contest, and he is, in fact, retiring from the sport due to the adverse effects of the surgery, and, of course, he wanted to spend more time with his wife, Rena Miro, or Rena Lesnar, formerly Sable, for you wrestling fans out there, and uh, and his children. So, uh, so Brock Lesnar calling it quits at, after uh, a TKO loss to Alistair Overeem at 2 minutes and 26 seconds of the first round at UFC 141. Now, I, I can almost hear this right away, that as soon as Lesnar announced his retirement, that the wrestling folks started jumping on this, oh, it's going to be Brock Lesnar, it's going to be Brock Lesnar, it's going to be Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker at WrestleMania. As of now, nothing of that magnitude or has even been discussed. So, so don't go getting your hopes up for anybody out there who's a wrestling fan to see Brock Lesnar back in the WWE anytime soon. But, that being said, at this point, it seems as if the, uh, the door has been opened for that to potentially happen at some point. So that's about it, folks, for the last little while in the world of mixed martial arts. We've had some big, Big events going on with the uh, the absolute war that took place between uh, Dan Henderson and Mauricio Shogun, who, uh, uh, of course, seeing Kung Lee finally coming over from Strike Force into the UFC. Um, of course, we've got John Bones Jones successfully defending his UFC light heavyweight title against Leoto the Dragon Machida. We've got uh, Frank Mir breaking the arm over Antonio Minotaro Nogueira, uh, because Nogueira refu- refused to tap out to the Kimura. Um, we've got Alistair Overeem making a, a huge impression on his first 
foray into the UFC. We've got Brock Lesnar hanging up his gloves due to injury and, of course, the various uh, injuries and the various surgeries that he's had for his diverticulitis. Uh, we've got young Johnny Hendricks with a brutal knockout victory, potentially moving up in the welterweight ranks. Uh, we've got uh, a bloody war between Donald Cerrone and Nate Diaz. Uh, could very well be considered for fight of the year, along with uh, with Dan Henderson and Mauricio Shogun Hua. So, so that's just the last uh, three UFC events there that uh, that we've discussed on the show this evening. And that's about it, folks. The old Axe Man is knackered. Uh, thank you all so, so much for, for sticking with me. Anybody who who may have sort of fallen by the wayside, again, I do apologize that, uh, you know, I haven't been keeping on top of the show like I should, but my resolution for 2012 is to continue to provide Combat Arena for Mixed Martial Arts. And, again, as a separate segment, I will be hopefully doing the wrestling portion or a wrestling program as well. Thank you all so much. I hope you all had a happy and safe holiday season. Happy New Year from X and the Addictive Internet Radio Podcasting Network, including the Historian 42 Special and, of course, Verbal Abuse. My name is the Axeman, and this has been Episode 7 of the Combat Arena.